You know, this week's been a, a busy week for, for me and for my family. And my, my father, is, as many of you have been praying, had surgery and he's, he's doing really well. He's home. But, you know, in, in light of the busyness of the week, I, I just didn't have time to prepare for this morning. And so I thought we would just sit and chat for a while and maybe, maybe read the passage and, and. Now, what would you say if that was true? Liar. Yeah. <laughs> Having notes with five points in the worship folder probably shows you that that's not true. Um, no, I, I, I say that in jest because I want to illustrate the importance that we need to bring to teaching and the teaching ministry in the church. This morning we're going to be talking about that and James is going to be talking about that as he begins to to talk about the tongue and how the tongue and how our speech interacts in the body of Christ. And what we say matters, right? What we say to each other matters. We can't just say anything, but our words have power, our words have impact. And so James is going to begin actually a whole section of how we relate to each other in the body of Christ. And in that section, several times he's going to come back to our words and how we speak to each other. And it's really interesting because in this section, in James chapter 3 where we're starting, he's beginning 12 verses on the power of the tongue and how we treat each other. And he begins by talking about the ministry of teaching. And the importance of the ministry of teaching, the dangers that go along with the ministry of teaching. See, if I was to actually come up and say, you know what, Sunday morning, I just didn't have time to prepare. If I really said that, then that has all kinds of implications for what I think about the teaching ministry in the church. It has all kinds of implications for what I think of pastoring and shepherding Village Bible Church. And none of those implications would be good. None of them would be healthy. And so James is going to try to put, to, to help us understand the responsibility, the weight of the responsibility of teaching, some of the dangers of, of the teaching ministry. At the same time, we know he's calling out teachers and, and wanting teachers that are going to teach correctly. But so we want to talk about teaching. Now, Something I, I want to say right from the start, before most of you check out and say that these verses don't apply to you, let me challenge you that they do. Because on one hand, everyone in this room sits under teaching from time to time. Everyone in this room is sitting under teaching right now, and so this applies to you from the aspect of what kind of teaching are you sitting under? What kind of teaching do you absorb? How is that teaching affecting you? But beyond that, the reason why I think these verses are so important and why we're only taking two verses this morning. Now, don't worry, that doesn't mean we'll be done in five minutes. We're going to bring in a whole lot of other verses. And we're going to bring in a lot of words of Christ this morning. Because I think James, as he's writing James, is reflecting on the words of Jesus Christ. He's reflecting on the teachings of Christ. Because so much of James mirrors the teachings of Christ. But we're going to take two verses out of James, look throughout Scripture at what it has to say. But I believe it's important because even on the side of teaching, that affects more than we realize. Let me just illustrate this for a minute. How many of you are in some sort of teaching ministry to adults at Village? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up, okay? How many of you are in some sort of teaching ministry to kids? Let's add those hands. Okay. 
How many of you are a leader in Awana or help in VBS or a helper in kids ministry? Let's add those hands up. Okay, we're already over half of our church. Wait, wait, keep, keep your hands up. This, you know, gotta, gotta work those arms. How many of you have kids? You have a teaching ministry. Wait, wait, keep your hands up. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. How many of you are believers called to fulfill the Great Commission? Okay, now you can put your hands down. That's who this sermon's for. The Great Commission says we're to go and make disciples of all, of all men, teaching them, did you catch that? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so part of our role, even as disciples, is to teach. Now, I understand there's the formal office of teaching in the church where we have certain standards and there's a, a certain responsibility. And this, this passage really is dealing with that. But out of the lessons to that formal office, I think we can all learn about the responsibility of teaching. So turn with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2. James chapter 3, 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love for you to take a black Bible around you. There's one under a seat right around you. And take that, follow along. If you don't have one at home, please take that home with you. And, and that is our gift to you, so you have God's Word. James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers. What a way to start. <laughs> Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now just two verses, and we start with the idea of not many of you should be teachers. My my title this morning is Teachers Beware. Because he's, he's giving a warning to teachers the warning that illustrates the depth of the, the responsibility of teaching. A teacher uses words, right? We use words, and we use a lot of words. And some of you are like, yeah, we could use a little less on Sunday morning, but no, no, we, we, we use words. And so as teachers use words, there are all kinds of opportunities for danger. There are all kinds of opportunities to mess up, to slip up, whether that be in our doctrine or in what we say or say something that's not true. Something like the sun revolves around the earth, like I said a few weeks ago, which isn't true. But there's also opportunities to slip up in our life and our example and in the the tone that we teach with. And so we want to look at some of those this morning. And I'm going to look at five different dangers that ministry faces or that teaching the teaching ministry faces. And those are in your notes as the bewares. And so five different things to beware of or to be careful of. But in each case, I want to give a, a, a second one that I'm calling be aware of something, a positive. So we have a negative thing to be careful of, a caution, but then a positive, how we can overcome that, how we can excel at the art of teaching, at the skill of teaching. Now this morning, I'm not going to give you 10 steps to prepare a great lesson, but I want to match what James and Jesus say about teachers and deal with the heart and make sure our heart is prepared to teach, and make sure we are are teaching out of the right spirit and in a way that is effective in our spirit and and in our our walk with God. So the first danger, the first thing to beware of in number one, beware of the prideful lure of prominence. Beware of the prideful lure of prominence. This morning, all of your points are going to be P's, so have fun figuring this out. 
The prideful lure of prominence. James starts with, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. And, and the assumption here by, by most scholars is that James is addressing something. Apparently, there was some desire in the church where people were flocking to teaching. I want to be a teacher. I want to be in charge of that person. I want to be able to tell people what to do. Or I want to be able to share my vast knowledge with people under me and help them. And so there was this desire here to teach. Now, a desire to teach is not bad. A desire to teach out of the wrong motives is bad, right? And so apparently he is dealing with some wrong motives. And points one or two are going to deal with two of the major motives that Jesus deals with with the Pharisees that are the wrong motives to teach. And so the first one is pride. The prideful lure of prominence. See, teaching, especially in the early church, played a very prominent role. Teachers were well-respected. Teachers were looked up to. Not everyone had the text of Scripture. Not everyone could read. And so you relied on teachers all the more to share God's Word and to share what you should do. And so they had a prominent role in the early church. They still do. Teachers, when we put someone into a teaching position at Village, we don't take that lightly. We know that we are putting someone in a position where others are looking up to them and and they are being led. Their people are being led as they listen to that teaching. And so there is a dangerous lure that comes along with that. A teacher, their task is to pass on the true doctrine, to, to pass on the beliefs, to equip the community of believers. But the lure is I begin to do it because I like the status. I like the prominence. I like how it feels. And And... And teachers that are in here, you know this is a a pull. You know this is hard. Have you ever wondered why there's five people in your class? Or been thrilled that there's 55 people in your class? That's an appeal to prominence. It's an appeal to pride. It can be. And so we want to be careful of this. And, And James says, not many should become teachers. The status will draw people to it, but don't let that be why we teach. Don't be that, don't let that be why we desire that position. Think of how many times in the New Testament the church has warned against false teachers. This is a pro, this was a problem. And it still is today. Because now, preachers, you can go on, if you have a great message and a good smile, you can go on TV and not only have the prominence, but have the money that goes along with it. That is never the reason to teach. In Matthew 23, 5-7, and Jesus here, as He interacts with the Pharisees, has a lot of material. And He says, speaking of the Pharisees, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. These Pharisees were teachers of the law. They were rabbis. They were the ones that were put in that place of prominence. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And that's the... the, um, the fringes on the, the robe of their tassel, their prayer fringes for how religious you were, phylacteries were the, on the forehead and on the arm. And so they would make these just really prominent so they could tell everyone how spiritual they were, so they could gain a reputation for that. Number Verse 6, And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. That's pride. That's the prideful lure of prominence. 
because what they're after is the status that comes with the position of teacher. They want to be called rabbi by others. It's, it's like sometimes you're talking with someone and sometimes maybe I'll, be, I'll meet someone who's a doctor and I'll meet them and they'll give me their name, Dr. So-and-so, and, and then we'll go on the conversation. I'll say, so, so how are you doing? I'll use their name. And they're like, no, 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 it's doctor. I'm like, uh-huh. Okay. Doctor. And, and, and that's part of pride. That, that's part of pride of prominence, of wanting that title, of wanting to be known by that title. Teachers sometimes do the same things. Sometimes in teaching, it can be if you get your PhD or your DMIN that I want to be called doctor. Dr. Ron. And Jesus is saying, no, no, that's not why you're doing this. That's not at all why you're doing this. This is about equipping God's people and caring for God's people. Pride must be fought with humility. And and, and here's the basic thing of this. If I'm proud, then I think I'm the one doing the work. Then I'm taking the credit for it. Then the 55 people there are because I'm just so funny. But pride has no place in the work of God because here's the thing. You and I don't change lives. You and I never change lives. I'm not responsible to change any life in this room. I am responsible to simply teach God's Word. Because you know who causes change? The Holy Spirit. And when I start to think that there's a certain prominence with this position, or when you do in whatever teaching position you're in, when we think there's a certain prominence in there, we are actually robbing the Holy Spirit of the glory to His name. He is the one that changes lives. He is the one that gives the ability to teach. To teach. We are not God. We are not the Holy Spirit. And this first lure reminds us of that. It, it's not us. And, and quite frankly, if it's all about us and my strength, I will burn out so fast that it will just be a blaze of glory as I leave. We need the Holy Spirit and we need to let Him be the Holy Spirit and do the work. See, what happens, think about this for a minute, what happens if pride and prominence is the goal of teaching? Does that change how I teach? Absolutely. I'm now going to teach to popularity. I'm now going to take a poll and figure out where you stand on things and teach that because it's always fun to get a good response from teaching things that people like. But that's bad teaching. It's, it's why at Village we go through books of the Bible so we can't pick and choose and, and cherry pick the things that we think are going to be a big hit with Village this week. We're going to go through James. And there's going to be some weeks that you're like, yeah, preach it, James. And there's going to be other weeks that we're like, man, I, I wish that wasn't in there. But we're going to go through God's Word and let the Holy Spirit work. It can lead to false teaching. It can lead to bad teaching. It can, it can lead to... Uh, an atmosphere of protecting self. The teacher just is always protecting and defensiveness. But ultimately, it should be about equipping God's people. Equipping God's people. 1 Timothy 1, 5-7, Paul is, is teaching his young protege, Timothy. And he says, The aim of our charge or the aim of our teaching is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. When they lost their purpose, they've wandered away into other things. Sometimes teachers that are looking for prominence will bring up topics that they can just sound more intellectual on. 
that I can sound more knowledgeable on these things. And then we feel good about ourselves. And that's happening here. And in 7, it says they're desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And he's saying that pride has led them into to a situation where they don't even understand what they're saying. And they're making assertions and claims that, that they can't even... Back, because they haven't done the, the humble study that is required. Now, now, a couple of things here. That verse says not many of you should be teachers. It doesn't say none of you should be teachers. My fear this morning is we all walk out and nobody ever wants to teach again. That's not the point of this passage. He says not many of you because he's challenging them to evaluate the reasons for teaching, why they teach. In fact, we know that God gives teaching as a gift to the church. That some of you sitting in this room Maybe more of you than you think have been gifted by God to teach in this church. In first, just quickly, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, talking about spiritual gifts. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Do you see the prominence that it's given? It's given in the top three of how God is, is building His church, how He's growing His church. He has given this as a gift. We must not neglect it. So today isn't don't teach, it's be careful how we teach. Because we all should be looking to teach in some capacity. Whether it be formally in the church or in our homes or discipling. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 says the same thing, but gives us some of the purposes. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So it's right there in what God has given the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And that verse, Paul is saying, teach, but do it for the right reasons. Did you catch the two reasons he gave? First reason, to equip the saints. My purpose as a teacher is to equip you to do the work of ministry. To equip you to be able to dig into God's Word on your own. To equip you to not need me during the week to understand God's Word. Because you're trained and you're ready to understand God's word. It's to equip you to be followers of Christ. Has nothing to do with prominence, has nothing to do with what you think of me, but to equip you. I I, I love the, the quote that the meme that's going around about parenting that says, God hasn't asked me to be your friend. He's asked me to be your parent. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have good relationships with our, our children, but ultimately my job with my children is to train them to walk with God, to train them to do what's right. And they're not going to like me sometimes. Right? But they'll know I love them. They'll know I, they'll know I love them with my whole heart because I'm willing to train. That's one of the goals. Second goal there for teaching for all these gifts, but teaching included, is building up the body of Christ. Equip the saints, give you the skills you need to walk with God, build up the body of Christ, bring us together as a beautiful bride of Christ, as the body of Christ. And so yes, the first warning, beware of the prideful lure of prominence. The fleeting lure of prominence, because it never satisfies But then the be aware, the positive side of that. How do we combat that? 
be aware to selflessly love and serve those you teach. Be aware to selflessly love and serve those you teach. That's the attitude we see in Scripture teachers should have. But selflessly love mean it can't be a, means it can't be about me. can't be about what you think of me. It's about loving you. And for every teacher in this room, do your students, do the people under you know that you love them. If they don't, you've already lost. They must know that you love them with a love of truth, with a love of grace, with a love that will speak into their lives. We're to selflessly love and to serve those you teach. See, the lure of prominence thinks I'm over somebody. The appeal of servanthood thinks I'm under somebody and lifting them up. And God calls us to be servants. He calls us to be servants. We already mentioned the first Timothy 1 5 passage where, where Paul says the goal of our instruction is love. But, but look at some of the things that Jesus said in Matthew 9 11 to 13. And we'll go through scripture pretty quickly. I have all of them on the screen this morning. Um, Matthew 9 11 to 13. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, to Jesus' disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's not where the prominence comes from. That, that's not where the status and prestige comes from. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, so Jesus heard it, he, it's great. He overhears it and he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And he's not saying the Pharisees don't need him, but their self-righteousness prevents them from hearing what he's saying. But, but the thing here is, what did Jesus do with the people he was trying to reach? He ate with them. Now, you've heard me talk about this. To us, that's, okay, so we went and had Taco Bell, big whoop. No, no, to eat with somebody was a sign of entering into their life and being part of their life in a way that was more than just casual. And so this represents Jesus' heart of teaching. In fact, they call him a teacher here. Uh, It represents his heart to actually get involved and get into people's lives. we, We talk about those of you in youth ministry. If you're doing youth ministry without ever caring about the students and without ever knowing what's going on in their lives and maybe going to some of the major events in their life, you're going to struggle in youth ministry. Same's true with adult ministry. Across the board, it's part of teaching is getting involved in people's lives. Living life with them is how we teach. In John 13, 14, and 15, uh, uh, just a phenomenal passage just before the crucifixion, the night before, and, and we see this in the upper room. John 13, 14, 15. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... So Jesus just went disciple by disciple, washed their dirty, stinking feet. He says, if I then, as your Lord and teacher, so he brings up that, that role again, that title, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I, as the Lord of the universe, can do this, this is how you can be a servant to those you teach. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. How do we combat pride and the lure of prominence? Selflessly love and serve. Intentionally be selfless in our love and service. That's what a good teacher does. 
And so this morning on each of these, we'll see the, the dangers of teaching, but we'll see what a godly teacher does. We move on to number two, and we move a little quickly, quicker through them as we go from here. The second thing to beware of is beware of the enticement of power. Beware of the enticement of power. And this is still under some of the things that I think James is thinking of when he says not many of you should be teachers, and, and we look at the teachings of Christ. See, teaching has a, has a status with it, It also has a prestige with it that carried an authority. At the time, rabbi, for instance, was sometimes translated my great one. And so this is closely interwoven with pride. But the idea of power is that the great one, the great teacher, had authority over your life. What the rabbi said, you did. He had that kind of authority. And for some, getting into teaching, that's the lure, right? The enticement is... I can have power. I want power. I want to be able to tell people what to do. I'd say how many of you are like that, but no, don't. Um, We all fight it. We all want to tell people what to do. But that can be a lure that is, is damaging to teaching. See, teaching isn't about forcing people to do what I think they should do. It isn't about me somehow manipulating people into walking with God better or something. No, it's about me, like I said, presenting the Word, you as a teacher presenting the truth of God's Word and letting the Holy Spirit work. In Mark 12, again, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees and some things He has seen in teaching that concern Him deeply. And in His teaching He said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace. You see some of the status and pride there. And have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts. But then verse 40 takes the pride and turns it into control and power. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. And now they are using their position to inappropriately accomplish what they want to accomplish. To do their will instead of God's will. And we, we must, and Jesus says, they will receive the greater condemnation. Which is a, a, an exact verse that I think James was reflecting on as, as he wrote this passage of James, as we'll see in the next point. See, with the kind of influence that comes with teaching, teachers must be on guard. We have to be aware of the temptations that go with that. There is always the temptation to like telling people what to do. There is always the temptation to try to turn things and manipulate things for our own agenda rather than God's agenda. See, teachers, we, we can't be so concerned about the benefits of teaching because the benefits aren't, don't belong to us anyway. We should be concerned about our fitness for teaching. I watch this and I watch people in the church and I've talked about this before and I, and, I, and I watch Christian leaders abuse their spiritual power. And I don't always know why, but, but for the sake of somehow building their own little kingdom and they think their way and their approach is always right. And so I, I, I see pastors sometimes calling people out for sin that isn't even sin just because it disagrees with them. Or pastors that will force their will on people. It is wrong and it is sinned to misuse a position that God has given us. And it's not just in the church. 
Moms and dads, we've been given a position of influence and power and authority. And yeah, we can misuse it just like any other teacher for our agenda. And I know, it's the temptation. It's things that we get mad at our kids at and we don't even know why, just because it annoys us. Not that any of you have ever been annoyed by anything your kids have done. But we've started trying to ask the question, okay, is this sin or is this just impacting my perfect little life? Changes how you discipline. Now, yes, we want to raise courteous kids. So there's a way to address that, but that's different from how you address defiance. The lure of power is subtle, village. And and it's not just for, for people that are in the role of teaching the lure of wanting power over any relationship we're in or wanting that, that prom- prominence we've already talked about, but power gives us some sort of sense of, of self-worth that is wrong and is false. See, I, I really believe God has put inside of us a desire to make a difference, a desire to change people's lives for the kingdom, a desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. But we settle for so many offensive substitutes for that. And, and you see this even in non-Christians, right? Save the puppies. Save the whales. Save the, the turtle with the straw in its nose. In Costa Rica, one of them. Now before I get a lot of emails again... <laughs> I'm not saying all those causes are bad. I love puppies. But might there be a difference between a puppy and a soul? Might there be a difference between where we are finding significance and we have a God-given desire to, to make a difference in people's lives and we're trying to substitute it for puppies and recycling our cans. And we think we're making a difference and, and we're, these are just sad substitutes for how we really could make a difference if we teach and disciple with the right heart and the right spirit. And again, I'm not against those things. We recycle our cans. You know how much those puppies are worth? (laughs) But if that's our goal, if that's how we're trying to make a difference, that is an idol that will fall. It will never satisfy because only making a spiritual difference, an eternal difference, will satisfy. And that puppy, as cute and as lovable as it is, isn't going to be in heaven with you. People are walking out right now. (laughs) But the person sitting next to you might very well be in heaven with you for all eternity. So where are we going to find significance? The be aware part of this one. Be aware and in awe of the power of a teacher's words and a teacher's life to change lives. Be aware and in awe of the power of a teacher's words and life to change lives. Teaching is an incredible responsibility. Teachers do wield an incredible power. But as the great Spider-Man said, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) Had to get that in. (laughs) Words are powerful, both positively and negatively. A teacher speaking into the life of a student can change their life to follow God by directing them to spiritual things, by teaching them who God is, what His character is, by teaching them how to love God. See, those are eternal things. 
by encouraging them to follow God, by, by noticing when they do and giving a word that says, I'm proud of you for that. That was the right thing to do. Teachers, your words may be the most significant encouragement some of your students ever hear. Some of your students that are here don't come from Christian homes and don't come from Christian backgrounds, and your words may be the most significant thing they ever hear. And your life may be the most significant example they ever have. That is an awesome responsibility. Don't shirk from that. See that as a way to make a difference. At the same time, a teacher's words can be so damaging if we're not careful with them. If they don't come from a desire of servanthood and love. And so, yes, we should beware of the enticement of pride. We should beware of the enticement of power. But we combat that with loving and being a servant. And in this case, being in awe and and understanding the importance of the words in our life to change lives and embracing that and being intentional with that. The third thing to beware of, this comes from the second half of verse 1 there, beware of the greater scrutiny and penalty teaching brings. So penalty is your, your P word. If you really want P words instead of scrutiny, you can use perusal. (laughs) James says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know, and this is the reason why we should be cautious and, and treat teaching soberly, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And, and again, you could read that and say, why would anyone want to teach then? And, and some days I feel that. But it's because of the difference it can make. But the warning here is beware of that greater scrutiny and the penalty teaching brings. See, God isn't, isn't messing around with teaching. He says, yes, you have words. Those words have influence. You're put in a position to use that for the kingdom. But because of that, you will be called into an account for every word you say. Now, we're all called to account, but there is a a special scrutiny, this verse seems to be saying, a, a deeper scrutiny of those that are put in charge or put over other people that are leading other people. God cares what we teach. And God cares how we exercise the responsibilities of this position. And so the, the, the word there for um, will be judged with greater strictness, there's two aspects to it that both are part of it. One is that there will be a, a deeper look at what we say. It, it will be more important that there not be the careless words and not be the false teaching. The other side of it is it seems to be saying there will be a stricter penalty. A greater penalty. In the Greek, it uses the word greater for penalty. Because those that lead others astray will be held accountable for leading others astray. Isn't that the right thing, though? We have the same thing in our laws. If someone messes with children and leads them astray or does things to them, they should, that, that's a deeper penalty because now you haven't just affected yourself. You've affected someone else. We understand this. And that comes from, from biblical justice. In Matthew 12, 36 through 37, again, Jesus' words, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words matter. Whether it be teaching adults here, or kids here, or leading an Awana group, or, or instructing your kids at home. Our words matter. In Matthew 18, 6 to 7, you see Jesus saying the same concept. 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Yeah, there's greater judgment for certain things. Jesus said it would be better if if you drowned yourself with a large rock in the sea than to lead one of these little ones astray. There's a sobering responsibility with understanding God is watching when we teach and He will hold us accountable. And again, I don't say this to scare you off from teaching unless you're doing it from the wrong motives. But this is a challenge then, and the be aware, the other side of this. So be aware then to take teaching seriously by striving. And and I just give three things. I know these are are elsewhere in the sermon this morning. But these three things, be aware to take teaching seriously by striving to be accurate with God's Word, living what you teach, and loving God's people. We've already talked about loving God's people. This section, I think, really, this motivates me to try to be accurate with God's Word. Because I'm, I'm, I don't want the stricter judgment. I don't want to stand before the throne and say, yeah, I got that wrong because I didn't have time to research it. Or I didn't have time. Because I was doing X. Now, now, now understand me. I am not saying that we as teachers at Village always get it right. But what I'm saying is as teachers we should always strive to get it right. Do our homework. Do our work. There are times that study later and someone brings another passage that I hadn't thought of that I'm like, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. And I have to to, to rethink some things. But my prayer is that no one ever gets in this pulpit without having done the preparation to believe we are accurately teaching God's Word. It's that important. Because according to this verse we will stand before God and answer for every word we say. That's sobering. That's sobering. But we're to strive to be accurate with God's Word. We're to live what we teach. We'll talk about that in the next point. And love God's people. That's the responsibility. And quite frankly, if you're doing those three things, you are exercising the duty of teaching well. And God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Teaching is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to influence. And that has a responsibility. One of the things I encourage people that are teaching to do is always be learning. Always be studying. There is always more we can learn and try to refine and make sure that we are being accurate with God's Word. The other thing that that is a beware that goes with this, beware of preparation neglect. Of, of not spending the time it takes. There are so many times that as teachers, we can get into a routine and rely on charisma, rely on what we already know, and not put in the diligence that, that the responsibility of teaching requires. Both personally and, and in the Word. You cannot come on Sunday morning with five minutes of prep and teach well the class you're teaching at any age in this church. If we're to understand this passage and the seriousness that James wants us to take teaching, that means we seriously prepare. Now, I'm not saying you have to take 50 hours a week to prepare. That'd be sort of fun. (laughs) Not practical. 
but take the time it needs to prepare. One pastor, I, I remember hearing him, and, and there were all kinds of questions about his teaching and, and the truth of his teaching at times and the nature of his teaching. And, and I saw a, another pastor on a forum that we were both on ask, well, how long does it take to prepare a message? And he said, oh, about as long as it takes to preach it. And at that point, I knew that there would be failure. Because you cannot prepare a message on Sunday morning in 45 minutes and accurately teach God's Word. And already have the Holy Spirit dealing with you and, and, and pressing the text in on your own life out of which you share with others. And that teacher ended up losing his church, losing his reputation, losing his power. Because he didn't take preparing to teach God's word seriously. There are all kinds of applications we can go here, and I know I'm running out of time. If God, let let me just give one other point. If God scrutinizes teaching and cares about teaching, so should we. And my challenge to you is be careful what teaching input you have. You've heard us say at Village, always question and search the Scripture with what we teach. Always, Scripture wins. And if we, if we have taught something contrary to Scripture, tell us that. Let's talk about that because that ought not to be. But do we do that in other things we consume, in podcasts we consume, in books that we read? Village, there are a lot of false teachers out there teaching a false, easy, light gospel that we dare not follow. And and, and so be careful of the health and wealth preachers. Be careful of the Joel Osteens and the Joyce Myers. Don't read their stuff because it is not grounded in Scripture. And I can list a whole lot more and, and you can say, why are you listing names? Because those are the ones that I know are on the popular Christian reading lists. And they are not scripturally accurate. We should be discerning in what we consume as well. You know, I I love it. Sometimes I get emails from some of you from an author and say, hey, what do you think of this author? And that tells me you're thinking. That tells me you're, you're trying to figure out, is this a good situation? Is this not? Is this, what's the background of this? And sometimes I can answer. Sometimes Pastor Andrew can answer because he just loves books. And... (laughs) I know it's a shocker. Um, <laughs> those, are a joy, those are joyous emails to answer because it tells me that God's people are being equipped and asking the right questions. Okay, points four and five in two minutes. Number four, beware of phoniness. Beware of phoniness. And yes, that does start with a P. Teaching one thing and living another. Thinking our example doesn't matter. Thinking we're above what we teach. That I don't have to follow what I teach because I'm teaching truth. This is a warning against hypocrisy. In verse 2, James says, For we all stumble in many ways. And the for there is a connective word to verse 1. It says, Be careful not to be teachers. You incur a stricter judgment. But then he says, because we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And and really, hypocrisy can take a couple of different subtle forms, and they're 
They're slightly different. One can be hypocrisy as if I present myself or any teacher presents themselves as perfect. Have it all together. Never having to, to, to worry about any of the things that you all have to worry about. James says, no, no, we all stumble in many ways. Not just one way. We all stumble in many ways. And he attacks hypocrisy right there. No, we all struggle. And this is why we should take teaching seriously. Because we all struggle. And, and, and if we think we don't, that is going to be the problem of pride again. We, we, we struggle and we admit and we repent. Especially early on in, teacher, in teaching, I can't count how many times on the way home Susie would quietly say, so, so do, you know, do you know how that came across? I'm like, oh no. And I would hear some words of wisdom. Sometimes make some calls of apology <laughs> because we all blow it and, and we, we can't say that we've arrived. And so that's one side of hypocrisy. But another side of hypocrisy is not even care that I can live one way Monday through Saturday and I can teach something else on Sunday. Your life backs up your teaching. Your life is the foundation of your teaching. Your life is more teaching than your words. We cannot have a dichotomy that separates the two. So James says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. And he's using perfect the same way he did in chapter 1. He's saying the idea of perfect is maturity, growing. And he's saying, no, no, yeah, if, if you don't stumble, then you're perfect. You're maturing. And the idea here is he's challenging us to always be growing, to always be watching what we say, to always be watching our lives, to continually be following Christ better and better and better. And there's all kinds of discussion. Does this apply to teachers in verse 1? Does this apply to everyone in verses 3 through 12? And the answer is yes. Yes, we're all to be growing. We're all to be striving to not stumble. We're all to be looking to be a mature believer. In every area, he says, if you can get the tongue down, you've got the whole body down. Jesus is constantly calling out this hypocrisy. You can read Matthew 21, 1 through 4 on your own. I want to give you the rest of the points as we end. The, the positive side of number four, be aware to consistently leave, live what you teach. Be aware to consistently live what you teach by continually maturing in your faith. Those verses you have there are all Jesus saying, even about the Pharisees, they tell you what to do, but they don't do it. They're not willing to do the same thing. That is wrong. As teachers, we're to strive to consistently live what we teach. Finally, number five there, beware of precluding the Holy Spirit through self-reliance. Precluding is your P word. <laughs> and this is one that, that isn't directly out of the James text, but it's out of the, the, the text in 1 Corinthians on spiritual gifts. And it's part of my heart for us as teaching. So many times we can get into such a routine of teaching that we forget to intentionally, every time we teach, rely on the Holy Spirit. Every time we teach, we should be coming in prayer and saying, Lord God, give me the words to speak. Give me the exact words you want me to speak. This is your power. Holy Spirit, you change lives. 
And if we haven't prayed up, we haven't prepared. The be aware there is be aware to include and utterly depend on the Holy Spirit, both in planning and presenting. Be aware to include and utterly depend on the Holy Spirit, both in planning and presenting. In talking about the gifts, Paul says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. That's where the power comes from. That's where the strength comes from. Let not many of you become teachers for the wrong reasons. But I pray that many of you become teachers for the right reasons and influence people for Christ. Thank you, God, for what you've done. We give our lives to you. May we teach your word faithfully. In your name, amen.